Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, babe, what you got there? This is a check from Carvana. I just sold my car to them. I went online and Carvana gave me an offer right away. Then they just picked up the car and gave me this. Well, it's a big check. Well, obviously, you could put this towards your next car, or we could finally get that jacuzzi, or I could start taking tuba lessons, or I could quit my job and write my memoir. Or I can put it towards my next car with Carvana. Sorry, your check, not mine. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Faux, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Osiris. We are live. Tump day, everyone. Wednesday. June 15th, 2022. We are exactly, actually yesterday was exactly, so we are not exactly, but we are 
less than exactly one month away from the long-awaited return of fish. It's been a long, cold winter spring without the band. Oh, wait, no, they've already played like 16 shows. It's amazing. We have so much music that we've been able to listen to. Even though they may or may not have played quadraphonic toppling. We'll talk about that later. Once again, we did get really? to hear some fish. You're going to talk about that again? <laughs> it's settled, Brian. It's settled. We did get they to hear it. some fish. throughout. I'm just going to plow right through that. We did get to hear some fish throughout the last couple of months, and we have more to look forward to. But until then, our job here, it's very complex at HF Pod Live. You may think it's easy. We just get to click a couple buttons, log on and talk about fish, laugh a little bit, share some stories, share some jokes, but it's more complicated than that. We have to figure out what happened around this time in the past that you want to hear about. And today, (laughs) (laughs) we are going to be jumping two months in advance, but 10 years ago in the past to talk about Fish's August 2012 run pre-Dicks. We'll talk about Dicks at some other point. But the August 2012 run, to go through everything that the band played, everything, and I mean everything, from August 15th until August 29th, as they did this very strange California to the Midwest, to the Southeast, to the Midwest, to Denver tour that made absolutely no sense on paper, but provided the band and the listeners with some hints in terms of where the band was going to go. Some incredible music that we're going to be talking about here. But before we get to all of that, I've ignored my co-host long enough. RJ. About time. It's about time, Brian. Been waiting to talk for a while. Um, I'm fine. I'm just <laughs> fine. I'm simply fine. Um, I do want to say for people listening, you you might we're gonna be talking about this until July 18th when we have our event at the Ardmore Music Hall before the man shows. You might even hear an ad for that on this podcast if you're listening later, but I'm going to tell you anyway that we are doing a show at the Ardmore with three awesome guitarists and a great backing band, um, Tom Hamilton, Chris Forsyth, Daniel Donato. The backing band is great. Um, we're going to interview them, and they're going to play music. And anyone who's going to fish at the man should come hang out with us the night before. If you go to OsirisPod.com slash OsirisLive, you can see all the details there. But um, I'm excited about that. So thanks for thanks for letting me mention it, Brian. Thank you for mentioning it. It's an exciting event. I am really excited for it to happen. I think it's going to be a great way to kick off the two-night run at the man. And those three guitarists are incredible guitarists. And having them jam on stage together is going to be an amazing experience. So we'll definitely be talking more about that in the weeks to come. Should be incredible stuff. Yes. Megan, it's been three minutes and 50 seconds since we started this podcast episode, and I haven't asked you yet. How are you doing? Unbelievable. Um, I'm doing great. I'm still recovering. We had a little bit of a a teachers gone wild moment on Monday night. School's out. It's just teachers this week. We went and did like a little event at a Mexican restaurant. Things got a little bit out of hand. We ended up at the Hollow Nickel here in Brooklyn. There were some pickleback shots. I didn't know about this. 
this is new to me, but things really got out of hand. Yeah, it's a whole thing. So it was it was an intense Monday night. So I'm still recovering, but it was a lot of fun. So I think I've been to that bar. I'm pretty sure you have. I think so. It's pretty dive bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really fun though. Yeah, we there was a glass thrown while we were there (laughs) at one of us by a man. Wow. Wow. There was a parent there. Well, maybe I should. Well, there. Yes, there was a parent there of one of the students we taught who was potentially on like a weird internet date. It was very, very fun night. That's so and great. there was dancing and revelry. It was great. Wow. Yeah. And then two days later, you're still recovering. Kind of. Yeah. 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 I understand. Yeah. It's a big Monday night for me. Yeah. Drinking cool. on a <laughs> weeknight is a really fun thing. It's it is. Like, it feels so naughty, but then the next day comes and it's not really that much fun. The next day comes and you're like all those responsibilities that just like f- flittered away when I was in college. <laughs> and I was like, I shouldn't be drinking on a Monday. And then you do. And you're like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And you wake up the next day and you're like, I'm just not doing anything. You can't do that when you're no. older. It's not allowed. Mm-hmm. Like kids still need things. Bills need to get mm-hmm. paid. Work needs to get done. And none of it's like, oh yeah, cool. You're a little hungover. Lot hungover. Just take the day. Forget about yeah. it. Take the day. Doesn't happen. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, we are not taking the day today either. No. Nope. We would not have allowed you to have a sick day. There are no sick days for the Helping Friendly Podcast live. So I appreciate you showing up. <laughs> Unless you get COVID at MSG, then you have to, might have to take a sick day. <laughs> right after that point. But that's but, like an on-the-job hazard. It's like it's fine. <laughs> we we have workers comp for that. But speaking of happy hours. I don't even know if you said happy hour, but speaking of happy hour, we should have more happy hour celebrations on this podcast. Yes, I, mean, I agree. Brian has Topo Chico. I know. Yeah. Like, I mean, our pre-shows were like that. They were so fun. I know. A little loose. Maybe, maybe next week we should do that, Megan. You, you and I can do Let's it. Let's do it. Can, okay. Okay, fine. I'm all off right, work fine. next week. I'm on board. I'm all, I'm all HF pod all summer after this Friday. Wow. So I'm wow. on board. I love it. The oh. summer of the pod. Um, yeah. I think we're rebranding the pre-show <laughs> hang to HF Pod Happy Hour. I like that. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it has a nice ring to it. Just going to snap my fingers and all the graphics are going to appear and everything <laughs> is going to be branded perfectly around HF Pod Happy Hour. We'll do that. That's a good call. Like Great that. idea, RJ. See, I know how to compliment my friends, my colleagues. I mean, <laughs> run up the chain there. I, my ideas are mostly just like more opportunities to have beers, you know. So, <laughs> which is not, why we like it. Yeah, it's <laughs> not that complex, but thank you. For it. I learned Perfect. very early. We're all feeling very like bubbly and happy right now because we just recorded a bonus episode where we talked about friends that we've made as a result of fish. What you just said, RJ, just like brought me back to when we first started hanging out when I lived in Annapolis and you lived in DC. And, you know, in part, it was a way for us, you know, our kids hung out, they got along, our wives get along, but it was basically just you being like, why don't you just come out? We'll drink a bunch of beer. We'll listen to fish and the kids will play. And I was like, that sounds like the greatest Saturday ever. And, uh, yeah, the, any, any excuse for that. It worked. It was great. So we are going to do a very hard transition there away from happy hour (laughs) 
to talk business about the world of fish. But before we do that, we do need to tell you all about our sponsors at Sunset Lake CBD. Let's do that. Love to do that because Sunset Lake CBD also makes me feel bubbly and happy. Because they have a line of smokable hemp products that are for the old deadhead, the finance bro deadhead, or the young fish fan who's just, you know, spending the summer on tour, driving around, selling stuff out of their car. They've got something for everybody, anybody searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoid and anxious side effects. Nine different strains from this year's harvest. There's something for everyone. The Hawaiian Haze is awesome for an outdoor show, and Cherry Abacus is best for the end of the night. All the flour is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. They also have this awesome farm-to-table approach. They get you really great pricing on premium CBD flour because they ship directly from their farm to your door. And my parents have become big CBD fans. They love Sunset Lake. They just went to see their first goose show and brought some Sunset Lake. It was really, really hot in Wilmington, North Carolina, but Sunset Lake there was there to cool them down. So check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use the coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned, Vermont grown. That's wonderful. It's a really incredible company. They're so Very good people. And the fact that your parents caught Trey and Goose within a month Red Rock. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. My parents are like slowly morphing into me. It's really, really weird in the best way. They brought me back merch from the Trey show. I sent you a picture, Brian. Some really, really great merch. Yeah. I mean, this is what retired people do nowadays. They go to jam band concerts. (laughs) Um, I I just want to say I'm really good at geography and I understand geography really well. And I saw the goose played in Wilmington yesterday and I just assumed that it was Wilmington, Delaware. And, um, now, now I feel not as smart because I didn't look at the state. I was just like, Oh, Wilmington there, but Wilmington, North Carolina, that's where Ryan Adams is from. I think. Oh yeah. I think that's right. There's some, there's some music roots there. Anyway. Yeah. It's on the water. Yeah. And they have a new amphitheater there that my parents will tell you all about anytime you talk to them. Well, I mean, it Lake. seems like they need to come on to the podcast, given that they're like bigger music fans <laughs> than we are. I know they're seeing more shows than we are. I mean, flying out to see Trey at Red Rocks, it's pretty, yeah, pretty committed. I'm Here just we are. Double checking. Something. No, he's oh. from Jacksonville. From, from Jacksonville, but I think it's near Wilmington, North Carolina. I swear it's close. Well, do you know who <laughs> grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina? To tie things back to our episode on Monday, yes, Michael no. Jordan. Mm, yes yes <clears throat> wow That's i don't true. know if i mentioned it enough times but on monday was the 25th anniversary never mind i won't do it again um wilmington north carolina is not the site of where fish played in august of 2012 but they may as well have based on the fact that this tour touches almost each coast they did play in charlotte north carolina on this tour this tour routes them from long beach california near LA Justin Bieber's first concert, first fish concert up to San Francisco over to Kansas city, down to Birmingham, Alabama, over to Atlanta, up to Charlotte, back over to St. Louis, down to Oklahoma city before concluding a Dick's sporting goods park for the second time. Only the second time we didn't know 
why we loved dicks really. We just knew that we loved dicks, but we didn't totally know why until the band was going to bring one of their greatest concerts ever to that venue. I should say before we begin here to dive into August 2012, huge shout out to friend of the pod, Ryan Storm. If you've been watching our series on 2012, he should have been here. He should be here. He got called into work. He is disappearing for the entire summer at summer camp in rural Ontario. He will be back though by the end of the summer when we cover our uh, the Dicks 2012 10 years in retrospect. But we wanted to move through the summer tour as best as possible. So Ryan, you were in our thoughts, your your opinions, your knowledge, your your insight into into Paige's keyboards. It's all there for us but he will be back on later this summer. RJ, I want to ask you just generally speaking. So you started the Helping Friendly podcast in June of 2013. So this is the last tour that Fish played where there's no Helping Friendly podcast. Obviously, there'd be the MSG run. Wow. This is the last tour that's played. I'm curious, at this point in time, did you have any thought that you wanted to do something like this? And if not, where were you as a fish fan in August of 2012? Yeah, I don't think I had the idea of a podcast yet, Brad, and I did not come up with that idea yet. But but I do think um, the Baderfield shows, so I saw all three of those. Um, it was kind of a weird year. 2012 was a weird year for us. Um, a bunch of weird stuff happened. So I only got to see three AC shows and two MSG shows. But um Something I think at one of the Baderfield shows, I was talking to some younger fans who we were talking about. It was like the last night after the character zero closer. And I think it was the first set closer. And anyway, there was like a conversation where I was like, we, I have like a lot of thoughts about this experience of seeing fish and wanted to kind of try to figure out how to express some of those and share them with, with people. So maybe there was something, some kind of seed planted there, but um, the AC shows were fun. It was such a weird place to walk over to, you know, Baderfield and it, it was really great. Um, but those were the only summer shows I saw. And I don't know, it was, it's a strange time to see fish. So I, 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 I do think that the Dick's 2012 run reignited discussion of fish in a lot of places, you know, like in a lot of different arenas. So I do, I'm sure that was part of it, but um, I don't think we had the idea until like a week before we launched it. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I really appreciate you ending with that. (laughs) Yeah. That's so good. Megan, where were you at in terms of fish in August of 2012? I seem to remember this was around either the, you were still in a kind of a hiatus from all this, or you were just emerging back. Where, Where were you at? Yeah. So I was living abroad then. So I was in London and I would basically come home and see one show over the summer when I was home. So I saw the a Jones Beach show this summer and it was fairly uneventful. Um, you know, I just still wanted to see them when I could, but I was just really like in this different life living abroad and with young kids and just not at all focused on fish in the way that, that I would be later on. But I had fun when I went. It was just not really, I don't know. It was kind of a weird show that I saw and 
I don't know. I feel like they changed so much throughout this summer. And by the time that they're playing in August, they just sound like a totally different band than they did in July, early July, I feel like. Yeah, I agree with that. I was, this summer I was coming up on the end of my time living in Portland, Oregon. My wife and I moved there in the fall of 2010 and didn't see the sun for 41 days. And by the end of the winter of 2011, we were like, I think this is not going to be the long-term place that we live. We'll, we'll hang out here for a little bit longer. We both were just kind of like working nothing that we were like loving doing. I was cooking at the time and I knew I wanted to get out of the restaurant industry at some point. And in June of 2012, I had my bachelor party and um, my friends took me to see fish at Alpine. And I remember coming back from that trip and being like, I'm ready for something different. And my wife and I decided in July of 2012, let's sell everything that we own. And with whatever money we make, we will travel around the United States until we get to a point where we don't have a lot of money left. And then we will go back to South Korea and teach English. And we're going to save half, like one of our salaries. Cause you did like the, the financial situation over there was amazing in 2012. You could just bank money. It was incredible. And we're just going to live over there and we're going to travel Asia and then we'll come back. And when we come back, we'll have everything figured out spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and we'll be ready to start our lives, which really kind of worked out because we, ended up settling in Maryland and um, surprisingly getting pregnant. And we were like, oh my God, okay, now we have to be ready. Whatever that we planned over the last three years has to happen now. But so this was kind of the start of a really big moment in my life. I was going to have like this last great youthful experience and, and really embrace the opportunity that we had to travel. And when the band came back in August, 2012, I was starting working on blog that I would write throughout 2013, which I think was the first way that RJ, we got connected. Um, and I remember kind of similar to what you guys are saying, you could tell there was a lot of transition happening on stage and in the band's music. And it really comes out. We talked about this a lot in the June, July episodes where you hear the band opening the song catalog and really exploring their past in a way that they hadn't allowed themselves to in the early years of 3.0, while also jamming in ways that they hadn't to that point, aside from like August, 2011. And when they came back in mid August, 2012, I don't think anybody really knew what to expect. There wasn't a ton of media hype around it. Trey didn't really give any interviews the way that he did leading up to the June, July run. And they're playing this show in long beach. And I remember the show coming It was the first day that we had left Portland and I didn't know if I was going to be able to like watch it or listen to it and caught a stream like five minutes before it started and it was a really good show. It just like, it didn't feel like anybody was paying attention. And so to kind of kick this whole thing off, I wanted to look at this run, this larger run in segments. First and foremost, Long Beach, August 15th, the defining factor of this show is the rock and roll. 25 minute rock and roll to kick off set two notably not called rock and roll into long beach jam. It was just identified as rock and roll, which was very, very cool at the time because it just like it gave live fish the signifier that like fish played a long jam and like they were owning the long jam. I don't know. There was something amazing about that, but this show really seemed to showcase the band turning the gears, turning a corner towards deep, deep improvisation. 
What were you guys' thoughts on this show and this rock and roll in particular? The show is a fantastic set list and you can hear them listening to each other. I think the jams just have a lot of ideas in them, especially rock and roll and also ghost. I feel like there's just so much grand piano in a lot of these jams, which really stood out to me, especially now because like they play so much since that it's really cool to hear when Paige is playing so much on the piano during jams. There's just a lot of interplay I heard a lot between Trey and Paige and the whole second set I think is just awesome. I also love when they were starting second sets with rock and roll. I think of it now as more of like a set closer, like an encore. And it's like so cool that they just come out with this song. I just feel like when when you yell, you know, her life was saved by rock and roll. It's so like contemplative. And so I love it at the end of a sex just makes you kind of feel like, yeah, that's why we're here for what we just had. But what an awesome rock and roll. It's beautiful. This is a great, I love, I thought the show's awesome. It really stands out. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I might be jumping ahead, but I mean, this—the difference between June and August is like a—it's like a different band, you know. And I don't know what happened. I mean, there's like the Baderfield shows were really fun. There's a lot of good stuff in that month of June, but they're all everything's like ten or twelve minutes. Not that that's the only, you know, story. Of course, like how long jams are, but it's just, it's crazy that by August there was just so much more variety and, and, and there was a break too in between. And I just, I'm like pretty puzzled as to what happened in between June and August that changed, changed these things. I mean, do you you think think? it's a, do you think it's like a product of them playing so many of their different songs that they were like rehearsing a lot? And also they were having a lot of fun on this tour. I mean, I think that like, especially in the middle of the tour they were joking around a lot and I don't know I feel like whenever they're in that space and they feel safe like that and they're having fun you know maybe that's what kind of led to you know better improv and more exploratory playing yeah I mean I've always thought of this summer I I really enjoyed this entire summer tour I I agree with you it's it's wild to look at these set lists on paper as we're going to get into there's like 12 or 15 songs in every single set. And even in the second sets where there are jams, once they run out of the initial idea, they move into a different song. And it's a very different listening experience than what we get now. You know, you think about like four shows opening spring tour with an extended jam that was never happening. Now there was always going to be, it was always about the song being played the way that it was. But if you think about fish in the four years leading up to 2012, you know, 2009 is this, it's defined by the album joy and the sentiment around like, Hey, we can do this again. There's a renewal aspect to fish. There's a very pure joy aspect to seeing fish at that point that it wasn't the best fish that you've ever heard, but it was just so great to have them back. 2010, I think specifically about the fall where they start to kind of chop their songs up in really weird ways. And Um, there's really cool segues in that tour and that tour, you know, has them going through the Northeast in, uh, like college basketball stadiums and minor league hockey arenas. 2011, you have the storage jam and you have this like moment of kind of risk taking that the band hadn't fully allowed themselves to do. And 2012, I think to your point, Meg, they've opened the song catalog. There's a lot of jokes that we talked about throughout June and July of 2020, 2012. Like the tucking joke is everywhere. And then you get into August and it's almost like, it's almost the first moment in 3.0 where fish has nothing left to prove. 
Like they've kind of rediscovered mm. and, and walked down these paths before. And so what do they do? Like now you like kind of look inward at your songs and say, well, what can we explore within these? And that to me was where you get this rock and roll. It's not the longest jam. I don't think of 3.0 at this point in time, but it's one of the longest jams. And anytime they crossed 20 minutes, it was a pretty significant moment. And yeah. it just kind of showcases like, the te- technology is working for the band. They're just communicating. They're just, there seem to be, they seem to be stress-free in a lot of cases at this point in time. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there, there's like a five week period between spec and, and this yeah. show. And, and this is also, a t- this is the opener, you know, this is a show tour opener. So to have them be already performing like this and there was no like tab tour in between. There wasn't like, it's not like there was something you could point to, but something definitely changed. I guess maybe it started working better toward the end of the first leg of that run. Um, the Jones beak Jones beach and spec shows, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Um, but yeah, I, I, that makes sense. That's a, that's a, that's a good explanation. It's wild to me to think about like two weeks from now, they're going to play the fuck your face show. And are they planning like, we know that the year prior they play the S show at Dick's. There wasn't a lot of rumors, as I recall at the time, around are they going to spell something? Is there is it going to be another theme? I kind of went into that Friday night show thinking it was just going to be a show. And it wasn't until the end of the first, well, somewhere midway through the first set where you could tell that they were spelling something, but what? Who knows? Um but it, are, are they thinking about that right now? And is that why they're testing out the jamming waters? Who knows? Like that, that's the only explanation I could have for like, that's why they decided to kick off this tour with a pretty massive jam. But you know, it's interesting. Well, I guess one last thought about long beach is they haven't gone back to that stadium by all accounts. It is a rundown, amazing place to see fish. Now they play the forum, which I love. I love the forum, but everyone I've I've heard who went to the Long Beach show raved about the arena because it was just like as run down and archaic as you could possibly get. But like somehow it just felt right for fish. They played a lot of indoor venues that summer. There were a lot of in, like they right. They played Worcester at the beginning. They played. Mm-hmm. I mean, they played at like Blossom and Riverbend and and Deer Creek and stuff. But they're or Alpine and others, but there's like Bill Graham. There was the starlight in Kansas city. There's this one in long beach. Um, it's interesting. Arena and St. Louis as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know what happened, but anyway, this rock and roll is awesome. Back to your original (laughs) question. Really is. (laughs) So they move up the coast then to San Francisco. We get an LA San Francisco travel log rivalry between the two the year that the giants were going to win their second title this is the first run it's hard to believe this is the first run at bill graham civic auditorium they would go on to play 2013 2014 2016 and 2018 and they have unfortunately not returned to bill graham rj and i saw a show at the chase center last october um, I don't know if the band will return there. It was a very nice sounding arena and the amenities inside. Obviously there were some issues with that overall show. Um, but I've never been to Bill Graham 
everything I've ever heard from anyone who's been to Bill Graham, including you, RJ, is it's like one of the best indoor places to see the band. And here they are playing three nights at a venue that I think has like, it's like a 5,500 capacity, something crazy like that. Yeah. I mean, it's like a big club, basically. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's a crazy place. Um, really amazing place to see fish. One of my favorite places to see them, for sure. I think it, I, I hope they go back. It's like, it's really... I think it's like 8,000 maybe, but it's small. Mm. I mean, it feels, and it feels smaller than it is and it's GA and it's just, it's just awesome. It's just a great place to see, to see fish. And they, they feel it too. I think it's like a, one of the most special places to, to see them, like the crowd and the band and everyone just, I think appreciates the intimacy of it, but it's also got like a nice historic, you know, feel to it. And I, I would say that those like shows that they play, there are, almost always great. I really want to go back and see them in San Francisco. It's been so long. And that was one of the reasons I went to college out West was to see the Grateful Dead play in California. Unfortunately, it was 1995, but I did get to see Rat Dog at the Warfield and the Fillmore. But yeah, I, I just think there's something special about seeing these bands out West in California. Yeah. As someone who considered going to the university of vermont just for the off chance of seeing fish in vermont i feel your you get sentiment it. yeah I, that, was my, that was my number three choice um i love <laughs> that uh so bill graham they play three nights here the first two nights i would say just like plainly are they're, they're up and down affairs there are some highlights the down with disease especially on night one the tweezer as well in the middle of the set um, are both pretty big highlights that pick up from what we heard in the rock and roll on night two. There's an outstanding version of simple that sounds like the band is kind of looking weeks, months, if not years ahead of time. It's just very patient. It's a really gorgeous ambient jam. To me, this run though is all about night three, August 19th. 2012, um, a show that I would encourage anyone to listen to in full. If you have any doubts, questions, or considerations about 2012 fish, this show beyond the, uh, you know, immediate highlights should just assuage all of those. Like it's an incredible set list. The plane is outstanding right from the jump. It flows really well. This was uh, a dinner and a movie show that the band played uh, towards the end of August 2020. It held up years later at that point in time. And this is to me, when I think back to 20, 2012 Fish and the excitement that was brewing around Fish leading up to Dick's, it shows like this, where I have very vivid memories of being online, listening to this show as it was being played live, and hearing a sentiment within the fan base that was not just, Oh God, thank God they're back. Thank God they can play this well again. But it was, there's something different that nobody was expecting that is possible in the future for fish. And as, and as we know, going back, like if you're thinking of yourself on August 19th, 2012, the next five years are going to see the fuck your face show wingsuit fall 2013. Um, all of summer 2015, Magna Ball, the Baker's Dozen, like there's so much to come that is not even being considered or expected at this point in Fish's history in early 3.0. And this show just like, it signifies that shift in a lot of cases. What are your guys' thoughts on this show? 
I mean, yeah, go ahead, RJ. I'll go after you. <laughs> you just said it. I mean, you got you summarized it well. I mean, the the light from this show is just really pretty amazing. Um, I think light light was like the star of 2012 in a lot of yeah. ways. Um, even though it had been around for a few years, it would just kind of picked picked up steam. And um, yeah, that that set is great. Um, yeah, I don't know. They they just became a totally different became a totally different band. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't have anything to add besides what you said. I mean, it's just it does feel like a like a turn a turn toward the future. Yeah, I think this whole second set is just a monster. I mean, the first set has some really good moments too. Back on the train is awesome. Just a really cool, interesting little jam. But this whole second set, I mean, this is the first time they jam out Cross-Eyed and Painless for a while. I think it's over 16 minutes. It's really pretty jam. And the light is just incredible. I mean, Paige is like going between the piano and the organ. And, and it's just, it's it's really, really cool. There's so many different tones and textures really great rhythmically too. And it ends in this just like incredible rock and roll peak. It's just so good. I, someone on fish.net called it a pants wedding mother of a jam. And I felt like that was pretty accurate. <laughs> I feel like that's pretty good. And just to end, it's just like ends really like soulfully and richly in sneak and Sally, which is just like one of my all time favorite covers. And this is an incredible version. It's just settled in groovy Again, the piano is a real standout. Mike sounds incredible and an absolutely beautiful theme too. This set is incredible. Yeah, the the textures you mentioned, I think that's what was missing from the June shows. Like there's there mm. wasn't a lot of variety in in sort of how they were jamming and then somehow it just like just kind of picked up. And this sounds like a lot of that stuff that you're describing. It sounds like modern fish like what we would hear. Yeah. Something yeah, happened. This, we we need to find out what happened in those five weeks. Something happened. I think they had like a meeting and they were like, guys, it's time to turn Let's up the this. volume on the jams. Or do you think that? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, I've always wondered how conscious they were of that because there was a, there is a clear mix and, and this is right around the time where it happens. Um, there's a clear mixing pot of, we're going to pare back the amount of songs we're playing in a show and we're going to increase the length of the jams and whether or not that was subconscious or not, that does start to lead toward what is a more celebrate celebrated period of 3.0. And what I would argue is some, some of the strongest playing of their overall career. You know, you think about a year from this moment, Fishwolf played the Tahoe tweezer just a few weeks prior, you know, late July, 2013, they'll have played this, Harry hood that goes 25 minutes that is barely mentioned because there were so many other great jams. You know, the, the fall 2013 tour seems like a natural stepping stone to me from August, 2012. What happens on that tour? They play like five, six song second sets and play great jams like the Hampton tweezer and uh, the drowned from Worcester and the Reading disease and many others. I'm not listing right now. This segment you guys are talking about the cross-eyed light sally cross-eyed uh, i think it's the strongest segment of music that they would play until dick's 2012 at this point in 3.0 which i realize is just two weeks away but like 
it took them so long to get to this point where they could play basically 40 minutes of uninterrupted music that incorporates songs, but also feels like one fluid jam segment. And this felt like a throwback to the late 1990s. And it just felt like a band that was in full command of themselves and whatever they wanted to do. Um, Coming out of this show, I just remember feeling like anything is possible for the remainder of this tour. And however excited I was to go to Dick's a couple weeks later, um, the idea of seeing this type of fish was something I hadn't even considered at that point in time. Um, I just want just on the cross side. So this was, as Megan noted, I think there were uh, at least according to the fishnet jam charts, of course there were many from, 96 through 99 and, and a, and a few in 03, but I think there were only two other versions on the jam chart from 3.0. Um, yeah. I didn't mean the first ever. I said first in a while. Yeah. 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 And I think that, but, but they hadn't been playing it like that for Mm -hmm. at all. Like once in 2009, once in 2010, and then this one in terms of bigger jams with, with other, you know, obviously other performances. Um, so, something something like clicked with this that mm-hmm. that didn't that hadn't been working because they had played it a lot um i was at a show in at msg in t- 2011 i think and it opened the second set one of the new year's run versions and just like didn't really go anywhere i mean that's sort of how a lot of those 2011 shows went which is just sort <laughs> yeah. of it's just interesting when they when they find something that that works and then sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but this is, that was a really cool way to start that set. Yeah. And this, like, you're right. This leads to, I'm just looking at the jam charts. Like basically every version through 2014 is on the jam charts at this point in time, because it just was like, it was a go-to jam vehicle at this point, which was awesome to see. Um, Moving ahead to Kansas city. On August 22nd, they took three days off and they do this run now from August 22nd through August 26th, where they play three shows in four nights, one in the middle of the country, which they will return to the middle of the country a week later, but then three shows in the Southeast. I kind of want to look at these all together because these, these feel similar to me because this kind of feels in a sense like a step back, but it also what you're talking about RJ, like what is happening within the band dynamics at this point in time, it feels like one thing is winning out, which will happen in St. Louis, which is kind of to me, the next great show of this tour, but you know, you've got to get there through stepping stones. And this show has a lot of songs. It has the second skin it back in 1400 shows or however many it had been between the 1980s and the performance at Jones beach. Um, it has a really solid tweezer, nothing crazy, but just a very solid, beautiful tweezer that goes into Piper. Um, it also has Fishman mocking Todd Aiken, which, man, I think 10 years back to the culture wars. And I think about just like pieces of shit like Todd Aiken and power and thinking to myself like, oh, this is the worst it gets. And this is what makes me feel terrible about the world right now is I'm like, no, it's yeah. going to get way worse. It's actually going to get way worse than this. But fuck Todd Aiken. Um, I don't know. What else do you guys have to say about this show? <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> um, this is the this is they they played twice here. Um, in in twenty twelve, um, 
or sorry, once in 2012, once in 2015. And it's actually a theater where they do like, they do real theater, um, outdoor, outdoor theater. Um, it looks like a really awesome place, but, um, they haven't gone back since like eight, 8,000 capacity. And it seems like a great place to, to see a show. Um, maybe we should go there if they play there again, but, um, the stash is fantastic. You've been there barbecue in Kansas city. Yeah. Mm. A good venue. I've not been to the venue, but I'm into going next time. Oh, I see. To going to Kansas City. Great. Uh, yeah, we're sure. on board. Let's do it. Let's do it. I think this this stash is is the highlight of this. And it's it's both like, you know, there there's the kind of key change in stash, which happens sometimes, but it's also just like mm-hmm. a really good kind of they go between that and like the the traditional kind of tension release. And it's it's a good that's good. That's that's fun. Um am I yeah. That's Kansas City, right? Am I talking about the right show? Yeah. You're talking about the right, right show. Okay. Yeah, good. it's in the Thank first God. set. It's it's amazing. There's like a battle like, between good first... and evil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Really There's cool. like Trey does some incredible soloing. It's it's a great stash. That's kind of the highlight for me too. Yeah. To to back up your facts about the stadium, friend of the pod, the incredible perp says wow. my friend just performed there. Uh performed in the play Oklahoma there. Okay. It's a sweet venue. Small. Oh, cool! So you're right, awesome. there is there is live theater there. Mm-hmm. This was a, that stash was live theater. Also, that's my point. <laughs> it was, and I would definitely drive across Kansas to go see a show at this venue again. Um, if they play there again, I don't think that Bonner Springs is. I think it still exists, but I don't think that they're they're not playing there anymore when they go through Kansas City. Um, but yeah, this would be a really cool place to see fish. So we move then to the southeastern leg of this tour, which is just, I I can't get over how weird the routing of this tour is. We've gone from California to Kansas to now Alabama, Georgia, and North Carolina. It's like Fish was saying like, hey, if you like us, we're not coming to your state um, in this tour, except we will end this tour <laughs> in a state that likes us. Um, they play Oak Mountain Amphitheater, which I believe this is the first time. I'm double-checking it right now. Uh, this was the first time they played there since 1999. They have since played three shows at Oak Mountain. Uh, two shows, August 2nd, 2014, and July 30th, 2021. This show is similar to the Kansas uh, City show in the sense that it's just, it's a lot of songs. It's not really a lot of rare songs that are played. Like, for example, the first set reads Possum Cities, Sample, Timber, Back of the Train, Lawn Boy, Disease, Gumbo, Ginseng, The Wedge, Julius, Cavern, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, The Special four song, three song set closers to close the set. Um, the second set works a little bit better, but it's really highlighted by a rock and roll that is not nearly as long as the long beach one, but is I think just as interesting. It's really cool playing by the band that fades really nicely into the lizards. Um, this show to me kind of signified Again, this like tension between experimentation and we want to just play a lot of songs because we're in a venue one night and and we don't want to just like, we want to please everybody there. And I think that that's the one thing that didn't necessarily work about this overall tour, but it also showcases the tension of where the band is at. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on this? Do you want to jump to Atlanta? What, what, what are you guys thinking at this point in the tour? 
I think this rock and roll is actually pretty cool. It, it's a pretty original sounding jam. I mean, it's really funky. The last few minutes get like really spacey and kind of like a floating in space feeling. It's really cool. But the rest of the show is just, I mean, the first set's really intense. That's a lot of songs. There's just that don't necessarily seem to go together. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so we move, <laughs> we move on to Atlanta. Uh, Fish played two runs in Atlanta the previous two years, uh, 2010 and 2011, in Alpharetta. And they shocked the world when they announced that they were going back to Aaron's Amphitheater at Lakewood, um, which they hadn't played since 2000. Did they really shock the world? In my perspective, they, they shocked, shocked the world. Brian's world. They, they shocked, shocked Brian's world. world. Like, what Everyone, are you serious? <laughs> Everyone who lives in or has been to Atlanta like just talks about how like Lakewood is the only – the only place to see fish. And then I've been to Alpharetta and it's great. I don't know, but it's supposed to be really nice. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Brian. It, it shocked the world. Sorry. Like you said, shocked the world. Shocked. This show happened on my wedding day. I got married on August 25th, 2012. So I was not streaming this show, even though my wife is a fish fan. She was like, you realize we're not webcasting at our wedding, right? It was a conversation that came up. <laughs> I just up. love I that just she had to that. say that to you. It's just, it's awesome. <laughs> I was like, it could be on in the background. What's the yeah. problem? Yeah. Some Fine. people hang out and watch. Um, first set, very similar to the last two shows. Second set, though, this is where I hear a lot of like really unique changes. This set list does not work on paper, but when you play this set as a f- complete piece, to me, you start to hear them picking up the pieces that we heard at the Long Beach Rock and Roll, the third quarter at Bill Graham, 819, the rock and roll from the previous night. Kill the Falls moves beyond its initial space. Golden Age is really groovy. The light, as RJ said, it's the star of this overall year. It's the star of this show in a lot of cases. But really the moment that clicks this show for me and makes it very important is the Chalk Dust Torture. It's only 11 minutes but we're going to hear Chalk Dust Torture three times in the next five shows. And each version is going to get successively more interesting, more nuanced, more expansive. And this to me, I mean, this is a really important moment. Who knows again, are they thinking about doing the fuck your face show? Are they figuring out what songs they're going to play at that show? Cause you got to wonder if they know that they want to spell this out, they have to start figuring out the set list to say what can't be played at these shows so that we can play it again here who knows again? I don't know. But this Chalk Dust Torture goes out into deep space, ends up in What's the Use, and really showcases for the first time since summer 2010 that Chalk Dust Torture has legs as a jam vehicle. What did you guys think about that's this crazy. set? That's crazy. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then it becomes the, you know, one of the one of the biggest jam vehicles of all. Still is. It's about to change completely. Yeah. That, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, this shows like, you know, I think the, the fishnet rating is like 3.3, you know, it's like, uh, and I, it, some of the reviews are like, eh, it was fine. Um, but I like the, what you're pointing to, which is like the, the actual kind of, you know, transitions that are happening as we, as you, as you listen. Um, it's cool. I mean, I, I think it's, I don't listen to this show ever. Um, so going back to the highlights is, is cool. And, I like that. I mean, into what's the use is just, you know, that's, 
if, if, when executed right, it's just it's just amazing. And they hadn't really been playing it that much. Um, I think they only played it one one other time in in 2012, and then not again until Dix 2014, which is crazy. So this is clearly like a an intentional move into the into what's the use after a jam like that. The maze is really good in the first set too. I think that that's like there's like a really intense maze. I was surprised this Kill Devil Falls isn't on the jam charts. It's kind of weird. No, I, I mean it. It's definitely a jam. There's a really jazzy feeling to it. There's like all these repeating phrases. It's just there's a couple of moments in this jams and this tour that have a real jazzy feeling, which is really cool. Um, yeah, and this chalked us. The, the build of tension is so great, and then just collapsing into what's the use is like my favorite. It's a good little bit. There's some really good music in the second set, especially. The jazzy nature is really interesting because if you listen to these shows, whereas you hear now fish that is, I don't want to say this in a critical way, but like they're very reliant on their tools and their toys. Mm-hmm. Page is going to move to the synthesizers. Trey's going to move to the synth pedal. Um, Fishman with his, you know, effects pad that like is kind of a joke, but also kind of adds to like the weird nature of their jams. <laughs> The interesting thing about 2012 is that there's not really a lot of like, there's not a lot of toys that they're playing with. Like Trey has this really good tone that he's figured out, but there's just a lot of really good interplay between the four members. And it reminds me almost of what we'll hear the following fall. I keep referencing that tour, but like there's a lot of really good jams from fall 2013 that never touch it seems like they never touch an effect pedal in any sort of way and page rides the baby grand a lot and it just sounds like a band that is just very tight very locked in very connected and that i think lends itself to the jazzy nature you're talking about where there's just like a lot of interplay and communication regardless of like needing effects to move the jam or the sounds forward yeah i agree it really stands out. Really does. They move on then to the final show of the weekend. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday through the Southeast. The Verizon Wireless Amphitheater in Charlotte, where a year prior, 6-17-2011, was one of those big shows from that tour. It's a really fun show to go back and listen to. There's an excellent uh, Foreman's Mockingbird in set one. There's an Iculus in set two. A uh, really good ghost that picked up the themes of the Holy Ghost from New Year's 2010. I think a lot of people had, maybe it was just me, who knows. A lot of people had expectations going into this show. I'm just reading the fish.net notes of it. It's really funny to, I, I remember when I was listening to it, but I, it's funny to like see fish.net document this. Trey basically tells the story about how fish got together at Goddard college uh, or at UVM. And then later at Goddard college, when Paige brought them on, there's a lot of mess ups by Fishman that leads to really funny moments. Like the entire back half of the first set is just basically hilarious. And it feels like a release point at this point in the tour. They've been on the road. They're going venue to venue, city to city. It had to kind of be really exhausting at this point in time. And they've got another big trip ahead of themselves back to the East or back to the Midwest. Um, I don't know. I just, I find this show really humorous. There's a great tweezer in a hairy hood. The only time that that has ever happened in fish history. But um, what were you guys thoughts on this overall show here? The tweezer is really pretty. 
lots of repeating phrases and just a really nice tweezer. And this is a beautiful McGrapp too. The composed section is great and Paige's piano solo is just fantastic. Yeah, I think the tweezer, like the simple from San Francisco um, and, and some of the other jams that we've mentioned have this like really nice, beautiful um, feel to them that I think is just, it's great to go back to these just for, the, just for those. I kind of forgot that that existed at that point in time, but um, really, and the, yeah, the McGrupp also great, great version. Yeah, that like pretty jamming will aid them really nicely when we get to Dick's. When you think of the Undermine, when you think of the Carini, think of elements of the light, the sand. They're kind of like setting themselves up of like all these different avenues work. There's like terrifying moments in the rock and roll from Long Beach. There's like atmospheric jamming in the Atlanta second set. And then there's these really pretty tweezers. There's a beautiful moment in rock and roll from Alabama. You just kind of hear the band toying around with a bunch of different sounds that are really going to be capitalized on uh, when they get, when they get to Dick's in just under a week. We're just under a week from Dick's 2012. I can, you, I can taste it. It's crazy. It's almost here. You can feel it. You can feel it. It's just feel it. <laughs> so, any other thoughts that you guys have on this Southeast run before I move us to St. Louis for an incredible show? No, let's no. go to St. Louis. Meet me in St. Louis. I will meet you in St. Louis. It's just down I-70 from me, about nine hours. But if you can wait for me, I'll be there. I won't sing the song. So the City of Blues. Is that it? It is no, the City of meet Blues. meet me in St. Louis. Meet me you know in it's a musical. Louis? It's a musical. Is it? It's Can like you a sing very it? old fashioned musical. I think you need to sing it. It's like, so won't you meet me in St. Louis, Louis, meet me at the fair. It's like that. I love this. <laughs> that was pretty good. We just lost Thanks. all of our listeners. That, Everybody no, it's was increasing. like, and well, goodbye. <laughs> that was really good. You sang that really, really Thanks. well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Putting yourself out there like that. <laughs> so Fish said to the audience, meet me in St. Louis. And the audience said, no, it's a Tuesday night. I'm probably not going to be there. And they said, cool. Do you know what happens on Tuesday nights when we're playing off-market cities? We play really good shows, especially when none of you show up. We rage. This was Fish's first time at Chevette's Arena. They would return here for the summer 2019 tour opener. Uh, this was Fish's first show in St. Louis. Um, we do have a request from Ben Goodrich. We want you to sing My Fair Lady. Oh my God, Ben, I might know that whole soundtrack. So sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to do it, <laughs> but I definitely know all of it. <laughs> if people upvote this, we will have uh, Megan Musical Corner in every episode going forward. Pre Shana says she can do it. A premium episode. <laughs> you got to pay for that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm dusting out the old chops, uh, we're, people are going to have to cough up. Yeah. Okay. My, 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 my brain is spinning right now with how to, how to utilize this. This is excellent. Um, Fish played St. Louis in 2009 at the Fox Theater, a show that was heavily hyped. Maybe just for me. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe I was just the only person hyping these shows. But the Fox was a tiny little theater, and they didn't play the greatest show. 
And uh, I, I remember vividly being online for that night. But before that, it was all the way back on 11-15, 1996, when they played the M show. But this show, this to me is where it all comes together again. So we've had this great show in Long Beach. We have this great night to close out Bill Graham Civic Auditorium's run. And then we have kind of these shows that have moments of brilliance and moments of just like, are we just forcing songs? We're we just trying to get through a set list right now. What's happening? But like there was enough to carry you through. This show features a ton of rarities in set one, incredible playing throughout, a ton of like surprise moments. You know, Ocelot dropping into Reba felt really shocking in the moment. It's a great version of Reba. The curtain does not have a with that goes into peaches, which goes into mound. We get the sloth. We get Quinn, the Eskimo closing set one. It's just a really cool first set that like, I don't know how much it would hold up now if it were played, but at the moment that this show happened, it felt like they were returning to the best parts of the June, July run by playing a bunch of rarities, throwing them into this really fun set that just, it had a lot of pep to it. But the second set, my God, the second set, this is fluid. This is jammy. This is filled with surprise songs in surprising places. And this is where we hear the band previewing dicks in a lot of ways. I don't know if it's intentional. I'm going to step back from that, but it's definitely where we hear fish just kind of showcase what they can do when they're kind of walking that tightrope. Without diving too deep into it yet, Megan, what are your thoughts on this overall second set and this show in general? Oh my God, the second set's so good. Listening back to this, I was like, wow, maybe I should be listening to more 2012 Fish. This is an awesome set. I mean, they just kick it off with this sick chop dust. It's totally exploratory, has this like weightless feeling to it. And I was listening to it and I was running and I wasn't looking at the set list. And then they just land and Frankie says, and I just like stopped. And I was like, oh, yes, like this is so good. Yes. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of Frankie says. And I just want to say that I really want to see that. So that's going to be on my summer tour wish list. Are we going to have wish lists again this summer? Like we did. Why not? Tour? Okay, let's do it. Um, yeah. And then this <laughs> undermine is so good. It's like Calypso. Got the organ. It's super peppy. There's like funky synths fun and just an awesome segue into sand sand is just like well played with intention i love the like walk away rock god solo moment and then just this excellent flow and limb by limb i mean this whole section is just fantastic flow this is a really great set i love it also ends with like three of my favorite songs and then an encore to just like hit you in the heart shine a light um I, I just want to add, well, I, I do want to say that, I, Megan, I saw the first and last to date versions of Frankie Says. That's um, so cool. Really? Yeah. The Island Tour was the debut. And, and they played mm-hmm. it on New Year's at the at Rock Lidditz, but that doesn't really count. And the time before no. that was when Brian and I saw it in San Francisco. So I just want to tell you that I think you're going to be here this summer. So that'll be cool. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I do think this is like a this is the first show of this that I, I do think is a rehearsal for dicks. Like it feels like with undermine being jammed and like maybe Frankie says was, maybe that was going to be the opener, you know? Um, oh yeah. Show. Mm-hmm. I feel like they were like, 
planning it out. Or but trying playing... out F songs or something. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Fuck Us and The Undermine. I mean, it's it's a it's a really good, really good show. And and again, the same with Megan. I don't really go back to these shows and this is um this is this is great. Really great. Um if I go to twenty twelve I listen to the Dicks run, you know, and the New Year's run. Yeah. But this is just this is really a, a fantastic show, start to finish. I'm just looking at the stats. I saw if you don't count rock lits, whatever however you call that. Lidditz. I saw the last Lidditz. I saw the last two, Frankie says, August what? 15, August 8th, 2015 at Alpine Valley and October 16th, 2021. And October 16th, 2021 was really good, Frankie says. We're basically experts at Frankie says, so that means that maybe <laughs> you are. I'm going to see it when I'm with you guys. I can just feel it. I am not an expert at a day in the life, though, or Albuquerque. But, but we're I just rehashing old content. Expert. You are. You are. We are you are. Uh, um, Brian. Nine times. Before we go to the final show of this, Brian, can I just I have a surprise for you? Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Um, I, made, I made you something. We can, we can maybe post this with the episode if we want to. This wow. is the routing of the tour. Oh my God. Brian, does this make you so happy to see this like laid out like this? Look RJ, this is very cool. So they start here, right? In Long Beach. Actually, you probably can't see my cursor, but maybe that doesn't matter. Um, start off in Long Beach. You know, you can you can follow the tour as it goes, but it's pretty uh it's pretty wild, especially at that point after they go through Charlotte and St. Louis coming back, then they cross they cross the path that they were last on <laughs> in the wow, middle of Kansas, so wherever weird. those two highways meet. Um, <laughs> but it's it's definitely like a pretty insane trip. I it's just exhausting. wonder, like, you know, yeah. these guys are 5,214 miles. It would take 78 hours to drive that path by car. Um, you keep this map up really quick because I, I want to point something out. But I just – I'm curious, like, when – when they got presented with these tour dates, which one of the band members was like, so are we sleeping in a bus for like two days? Are we flying? Like what's happening? Like which, cause like this is just insanity. Yeah. I'm guessing Mike. I was going to say Paige. Yeah. I I just get a sense that Paige helps to plan the tour at this point in time. Yeah, that's Um, true. Yeah, probably. Well, they don't do a lot of driving themselves, obviously, but but to get from, you know, Oak Mountain to Atlanta and then to Charlotte and then to St. Louis, Go like that's, that's, a sh- that's a shitload of driving. I think like the same, they're probably on the buses the whole time, right? I don't think that there was like a, so. a, an opportunity for them to, to fly. No, I'm thinking maybe San Francisco to Kansas City, but like the the trucks are driving across the country twice. It's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. Keep this up because where I was at the time of this show, if you look at the state of Wyoming, I don't know if you can zoom in at all, but you can try. You see, this is getting so high tech. I'm yeah, so I, I know I, I know where Wyoming is though. You know yeah, where Wyoming too. is. Yeah. So you so see like see the now. yellow the yellow interstate oh, of shit. Wyoming. Yes. Yep. So if you go to the left of that, there's like that big open circle. It's like a giant valley it is mm. wind river valley okay. 
And my wife and I were camping there on August 28th, uh, just north of that. That like circular, yep, yep, right there. Oh, yeah, I see. Yep. Um, The Wind River Canyon we drove through to Thermopolis, Wyoming. It's one of the coolest drives I've ever done in my entire life. But the Wind River Valley, we were camping there on August 28th. And we watched this like crazy storm just like rise up from the west and just like come over our heads, drop some much needed rain, and then leave. And the sunset was incredible that night. And we found this patchy stream from August 28th. And we were listening to it by the lake while we had a fire wow. going. Wow. And we were magical. We were on our way to Denver and we were like, could you imagine if fish played a show like this, this weekend? Like this is like the greatest option for a show. Little did we know that we were about to see the fuck your face show. But to your point, RJ and Megan, I think both of you made this, like, I think that this is when they're testing out what songs are going to work and just saying like, what happens if we play a set list that doesn't feel like it will necessarily flow together, but like we have to get from one song to another via jam. And it feels like a trial in that sense where you get the fluidity from chalk dust to Frankie says to undermine to sand to walk away. And then limb by limb feels like the break, but instead of a break, it goes into its own separate jam and it just like shocks the way that you hear this overall show. It's also crazy that four songs are played on this night. Ocelot, uh, chalk dust torture, undermine, and you enjoy myself that will be played two nights later at Dick's. Yeah. So they're clearly yeah. like testing out what is working here. I thought you were going to say that you were trying to figure out if you could go from here and drive here and try to intercept the, the buses on the way. <laughs> no, that, was, that was the way. Uh, that was the there's way no road there. There's no road through central no Wyoming. I mean, there there are back highways, but there's nothing that goes directly to to eighty. It's it's a desolate. Thank you for that story. For the people listening tomorrow, you're gonna have to. Maybe we can put this draw this this beautiful work of art in the in the show notes. <laughs> Send it over to me. It's a good one. Okay, I will. Um, we close this run with a show that um, I've listened to one time. And I have not listened to again and I don't intend to listen to again because it's just, it's not a very good show. It's one of those shows that my friend and I like to joke about this. You want this show to happen before you go and see a fish run. Yep. I know that's not very nice and I apologize, but like when you see this show happen, you're like, cool. We got something good in store. Yeah. I got something good happening tomorrow. It's so true. It's so true. It's fucked up, but it's true. It is. This opens with Kill Devil Falls, which will be played the next night. Um, I'd I'd be curious if someone loved this show to hear their reasons why. I mean, it's a fish show. Throw back a few good beers. Have some fun. It's the first time that they've ever played in the state of Oklahoma. But there's just not a lot happening here. I mean, the rating is 2.8. So you're going to have to look hard for people that like this show. First and only. First and only. First and only what? Fish show in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. it sorry, really? Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy, wow. right? So, so that's a reason in itself. So, Brian, now you can't 
be one of the people who said they saw the only fish show in Oklahoma. So how does that make you feel? Not good, mm. probably. Not good. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> I just want to read. This feels like a very legitimate complaint. <laughs> just a note on the gap chart of this OKC show and a comparison to the KC show the week prior. I was at the KC show this tour. So when I saw the OKC set list, I was like, I got to post something. So here goes. In OKC, no gaps over 10 shows except for two songs, which were Divided Sky and Stealing Time. If I Could and Loving Cup both had the same gap of five shows, which a week prior at Kansas City, which is five hours north of Oklahoma City. For those fans, both old and new, who live between and around OKC or Kansas City and only made the KC or OKC shows, you may get some validation from me for wanting to kick your own ass for not doing St. Louis as well. I don't want to read all the way on because there's a lot in here, but my point in reading this, a sample of this review from Fishnet is this to me is the problem with the routing of this overall tour Mm -hmm. is they play the show in Kansas city. Then they go to the East coast and they come back and they play basically the same show without the tweezer in Oklahoma city, which is regionally speaking, very, very similar and very close to Kansas City in a lot of cases. So it's it's a weird way to kind of close this tour out and and push us into the Dicks run. But it also is kind of it, it feels like the we're taking a night off. We're doing a sound check before we get to Commerce City. Yeah, I mean, it, you kind of wish that that part of the tour just ended the night before. But I guess it didn't matter. You know, not every fish show is phenomenal and that's just the way it is well as someone posts on fish.net not sure if you guys were all at the same show i attended last night i thought it was great part of this could be due to the fact that i haven't seen the guys for several years and it was my first time in my own hometown there was a great vibe going through the crowd it was a beautiful summer evening and the tunes were flowing we had a good time which at the end of the day that's go. what it's all about yeah people had fun um, i'm sure of it People had fun. I do know that I pulled into my hotel in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I looked at the set list and I said, we are good for dicks. (laughs) We are good. So before we close today, Megan, big picture. How did the two-week run that leads – that goes through late August, 2012, set the band up for Dick's 2012 in your mind. I mean, I think that what I was talking about earlier about playing all these different songs, looking back in their catalog, rehearsing a lot, also just having such a playful vibe with each other and having fun and being on a big tour together and enjoying each other, set them up to do something really fun. I mean, honestly, they were obviously spending a lot of time thinking about what kind of a show they wanted to do at Dick's that year. And I think that they set themselves up to do that by also really stretching themselves out in August and really starting to listen really well to each other and play some incredible jams. Yeah. I feel in a sense like they went big in June and early July in terms of these ambitions around songs that were being played. There was a lot of humor that was inherently played uh, through as a part of that overall tour. And that they kind of took a more subdued approach to this run. I'd be really curious to know at what point they were considering 
the fuck your face gag. And if that was something that they went into the tour knowing that they wanted to do. And so there were elements of the tour that were kind of hyping them up for that. But I think ultimately, you know, this feels kind of like how the spring tour felt that we just talked about. It's loose. It has lower stakes, but it has real moments of transcendence and real moments of kind of interesting quasi steps forward for where the band is going next. And nobody really knows at this point in time, uh, the night of August 29th, where the band is going next. But we do know that they're closing out their summer tour in a venue that they had a great show at the year before or three great shows at, and that they've played an incredible summer tour overall that while we don't know where it's going to lead them in their overall history, we do know like, Things are moving in the right direction. And to me, that's kind of the big thing about this overall run is it just sets them up in the right direction for whatever the next steps are. And we know mm-hmm. that the next 12 to 18 months are going to have some of the most exciting fish that we have heard to this point in time in 3.0. I feel like whenever they're working towards something that they're excited about doing, their music gets better. Yeah. I know they play better. I think that like thinking about you know, working towards sci-fi soldier or any of the things they've done like that. I feel like the MSG shows working towards the gag. Like, I think that there's just always a kind of focus and inventiveness that is inspiring to them. Yeah. I remember thinking, uh, the night of Caso Vox that fish is at its root, just an art project that has no bottom. Totally. Like, mm-hmm. It's just, what more can we gleam out of this whole thing? And what more can we take out of, who we are as people and what these ideas are. And this summer definitely feels in that sort of vein of let's just see what else there is. Let's just see what other opportunities there are. And it's about to lead to one of the most celebrated runs that they will ever play, regardless the era, regardless the time in their history. So last thing before we leave, recommend for me a set or a segment from this tour that you would encourage people to go back and listen to? I mean, I'm torn between two, but I actually think I'm going to go with set two from 819 at the Bill Graham. I just, this whole cross-eyed painless light sneak and Sally. I mean, that's just, that is my kind of stuff. And it's just a rager. And I love thinking about them in San Francisco playing this just sick set. It's awesome. I love thinking about them in like a time and a place. Like mm-hmm, playing something like the the place having a part uh, like like an impact on it. My my initial thought is to say August twenty eighth, but I think I'm going to say August twenty fifth. Set two. Ooh. To me, that's that's like that's the point where they pick up the thread from August nineteenth and they carry it forward and see like is there something darker we can get to here? What if we play these songs that are not necessarily like our most celebrated songs or what if we play like a chalk dust torture that doesn't really jam at this point in our history and see where all these go. So I, I don't think you can go wrong with August 28th. We've, we've lapped praise on it. We love that show, but August 25th set to, if you haven't listened to that in some time, I highly, highly recommend checking it out. So we will be back next week, Monday, June 20th, we have a show that I am so excited to, to it's dive into. 2004 Fish. It's 2004 Fish. We are going to talk about SPAC 2004, one of my favorite runs of all time. 
I listen to it every year on its anniversary, but now I'm going to listen to it a couple days early. It's one of those runs that I just, I can't help myself. I have to listen to on its anniversary. And so I cannot wait to dive into this two, 2.0, 2004, no less shows that we are going to dive into. I'm really, really stoked. Um, We'll be back here Monday, June 20th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern to do so. And just for those of you who have enjoyed our 2012 content, um, we will be back to discuss that the week of August 29th to talk Dick's 2012 and celebrate 10 years ahead of Fish's first four-night run at Dick's. Till then, we are sponsored by Sunset Lake CBD, which is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located just outside of Burlington, Vermont. For years, Sunset Lake was a dairy farm producing milk for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. In 2019, they diversified, started growing hemp for CBD. Sunset Lake CBD embraces Vermont's tradition for land stewardship by using sustainable and regenerative farming techniques. To build and protect healthy soils, they are 100% pesticide-free. They use minimal tillage. They implement cover crops and crop rotations. They also serve as a research farm for the University of Vermont's agronomist to study hemp and inform best industry practices. We love Sunset Lake. You love Sunset Lake. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. It's Father's Day on Sunday. Check it out. I'm sure your dad, your husband, your friend's dad, your friend who is a dad, whoever it may be. They will all the dads. All the dads. They will love Sunset Lake CBD. Sunset Lake CBD is farmer owned and Vermont grown. Our other sponsor, Casher Trade. Check them out at cashertrade.org. For all of your ticketing needs this summer, incredible company, loads of transparency and opportunities mm-hmm. to communicate with anyone that you are buying or selling tickets or trading tickets with. Um, it's a great way to sell tickets, buy tickets um, on the secondary market at face value and ensure that your tickets are going up at face value and ensure that you are getting your tickets that you have to sell into good hands. I got some tickets up there right now. I do too, Brian. It's cool. I do too. You know, be happy. Um, We are very happy to be sponsored by cash or trade. With that, Megan, I'm going to leave you to enjoy your last 1.5 days of school. Thank you. You are officially on summer break. Are you feeling okay? Are you ready? I'm so ready. Yeah. I'm ready. We're I'm ready, ready for summer. I'm ready to just be totally focused on the pod. I love it. We are ready for Me you. Too. We can't wait to have you here every single episode. Not a, not a day yep. off. Nope, not a day off. Not a single one. And I won't <laughs> sing anymore. Don't worry. <laughs> I think that that's going to be a part of the show going forward. I think oh, we're going to figure out ways to get that into this. Um, thanks, everyone out there, for hanging out with us. Our regular listeners who comment, we really appreciate you. You you liven the show up. We will be back, like I said, on Monday to talk Spacco 4. Oh, I can't wait. Everybody else, have a great weekend. We'll talk with you all soon. <laughs> Bye, everyone.
Osiris. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.